we're very misunderstood. And a lot of the C-suite ironically feels that marketing is not significant and marketing professionals are kind of non-essential, which to me is devastating. Hey guys, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and today I will be both your host and bartender. I am joined today by Christina Del Villar, a Silicon Valley marketing executive and go-to market veteran with loads of executive level marketing experience, both at Fortune 100 companies and at more than 10 startups. Well, Christina has worked with some of tech's best and brightest, people like Elon Musk, Larry Ellison, Sebastian Thrun, among others. But today, Christina is a coach, consultant, and author. Her book, Sway, Implement the Grit Marketing Method to Gain Influence and Drive Corporate Strategy is due out this summer in 2021. But today, we are talking with Christina about how CMOs can learn the language of various key stakeholders and develop influence outside of the marketing team. Uh, which will no doubt be an interesting conversation. We've touched on this uh, in different ways with guests in the past, um, and this really puts a nice ribbon around it. So grab your favorite beverage and settle in as we dive into our combo with Christina. Hey, Christina, welcome to SAS Half Full. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to host you. Where are you calling from today? Today, I'm calling from Reno, Nevada. Well, I had put out a call for guests on a, a shared group that you and I both belong to, uh, the CMO Coffee Talk group, which is uh, always a robust discussion there. But I put out a call for speakers and you reached out to me and I was so excited that you did. What made you want to chat today? You know, I think that I, I love your show. I've been in B2B SaaS marketing for 20 plus years. And I just feel like we've been doing this for a long time, but there's so much more we could be doing. We could be looking at it differently. I think a lot of companies and marketing professionals have had to shift and pivot the way they do things. And we'll continue to have to do that as we sort of get back to whatever this new normal looks like. And so really just feel like there's there's a lot of opportunity to, to open up conversations and figure out how, how we can do this better. And I understand that you are not joining me for a drink today. I get it. <laughs> it's Thursday morning for you. You are having a cup of coffee. I, I'm actually like embarrassed to even say what it is that I'm drinking because it's so weird. I am drinking a can of Chardonnay. Here it is. Uh, yes, because I'm at our office and I had to quickly grab whatever was in our refrigerator. And th these were left over from a virtual event that we did where we shipped a bunch of cans of wine to our team members. So uh, I'm doing this thing. I am I'm drinking alone, which... I know our listeners know that this is something I do often. So uh, why stop now? But I am, I'm pumped to talk today. Christina, prior to um, us going live on the show here, we, we talked about a, a motto that you have, and <laughs> I want to hear it because I love it so much. What is your motto? My motto is do epic shit. And everybody on my teams, you know, know this and actually have a placard on my desk that one of my teammates uh, gave me a couple of years ago. But, but that's, I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to be doing epic shit in order to meet the revenue targets of our companies. B2B, it's hard. SaaS is hard and the sales cycles are long. And as we know, marketing is a tough role to be in. And so it's just always important for me to remember that, that we need to continue doing that. 
Christina, it was in HBR, the Harvard Business Review, a piece that really caught my eye that you authored that talked about the importance of CMOs learning the language of key stakeholders and how to develop influence outside of the marketing team. And it really did strike me because in in a lot of the CMO groups that I belong to, um, that we not only have client contacts, but also friends that I've developed over the years, this topic and sort of tangential discussions around it has been really prolific over the last three years is CMOs trying to figure out what is their role within the C-suite number one, and then how to communicate effectively to the board on all of the hopefully epic shit that they've been doing. And so when I was looking at you as a potential guest, and you could talk about so many different things, this is something that just stuck out to me because I've had these conversations. And I know it's something about which you're super passionate because you do have a book coming out in the summer of 2021. So here in a few short months, that is called Sway. And it's implementing the grit marketing method to gain influence and drive corporate strategy. And I, I love it. So I want to unpack this topic specifically. Before we can learn the language of key stakeholders, talk to us about who are the key internal stakeholders? How do you identify them? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And I totally understand what, what CMOs are going through. I feel like we as marketing professionals and, and CMOs, our roles are are convoluted. We do so much. We do so much across the entire company. And again, we're we're just we're very misunderstood. And a lot of the C-suite ironically feels that marketing is not significant and marketing professionals are kind of non-essential, which to me is devastating because we do so much. Like if you think about a company and they're trying to reach their revenue target, if you if you did not have marketing there, your momentum would be slowed. And we really are the backbone of the company meeting revenue targets and making sure that the go-to-market strategy is is solid. So so I started thinking about like what does this mean and what does it look like and why do we have so much there's so many problems sort of explaining what it is that marketing does, the results that we bring to the table, the impact that we have on the overall corporate strategy and the revenue targets. And what it came down to really was like marketing, ironically, is that we're really bad at marketing ourselves. So I have the saying like market the marketer. We need to market ourselves and we need to do it internally. You know, we understand the programs externally. We know who our targets are. We can build personas. We can build campaigns. But we need to take all of those skills that we have that we market externally and start moving that internally. So like you're, like you were saying, though, who do we need to target? And it's really dependent on your company, the structure, the type of product that you have, basically where the company is in the life cycle. But if you always think about it in terms of your customer journey, right? So for B2B, there's a huge component of product, then it sort of moves into marketing to push that out and get the message out and build, build the campaigns around that and the visibility around that and the brand. And then it moves into sales and then it moves into customer success. Those are kind of the four key components of a customer journey for B2B. So if you think about each one of those, what can marketing do and marketing professionals do within each of those, what I call phases of the customer journey to, to help them do a better job? I call these touch points. Like what are the touch points within product that marketing is probably already touching or could be helping out with a little more? So it might be identifying customers that have 
a really good input into what the roadmap should look like, right? So how can marketing help product do that? Or even if it's collecting MPS information or doing surveys, how can marketing help build a better product and then get it out the door in a timely manner and, and really understand that? And then if you think about it from a sales standpoint, how can we shorten that sales cycle? You know, how can we identify all of the different personas that we need to? And what can marketing do to help identify those, get them the right types of content that sales needs to, to really sort of close that deal and, and shorten the sales cycle? And then from a customer success standpoint, you know, how can, you know, these are, these are accounts we've already won, right? And we want them to stay with us for a long time. So how can we help either increase the, the customer lifetime value? How can we ensure sure that our customers are happy and that we have you know, lower churn? How can we ensure that we have the retention, that we have the renewal? And how can we help expand those accounts that already exist? These are all things that marketing is already doing. We're already really involved in all of this. And so all of those internal key stakeholders are the folks that own those components along that customer journey. So it sounds like one of the groups when we're looking at key internal stakeholders are these leaders from other teams or departments, so sales and customer success, which is interesting because I feel like my head first went to, and I hear internal stakeholders, I first go to executives, board members. Are those types of people and those groups included in these internal stakeholders? Yeah, absolutely. But I think you have to start with sort of your your peers or the other folks who are similarly trying to meet their goals. And so how can you help them meet those goals? Because then when you move up into that C-suite and the executives and, and the boards, you can show the impact you've had on all of these different areas. And they themselves, these peer leaders, are also now advocates of marketing because they've seen what they do and, and seen how they can help their own organization internally. And listeners, I'd be remiss not to mention that Christina really knows her way around B2B SaaS. <laughs> she has worked uh, and led marketing at companies like Sage and Autodesk. And so when she's talking about other teams, other departments, dealing with boards, dealing with high-level executives, she has been there. So this, this is not theoretical and what she thinks should happen. She's lived it. I do want to dive a little bit into the board stakeholder group. Literally my very first interview, SAS Halfful, was with uh, a CMO coach and consultant named Carrie Lou Dietrich. And she walked us through what CMO should present, right? And their board, um, present to the board. And it was a highly listened to episode. And she was really talking about what the board expects from a CMO and realizing the language that you're going to be using with sales and customer success teams is, a, is far different than the language that you'll use with board because their pain points are so different. So what language do you need to learn in order to effectively communicate with and try and gel with the board? The session you had with Carrie Lou was amazing, right? She she really just hones in on exactly what boards are, are looking for. For me, because I have had experience with Fortune 500, startups, different business cycles. So the boards themselves want different things depending on sort of what that, that life cycle looks like. But in general, I think it's really important to understand that they have invested in you and they want to know when they're going to get their money back, basically. And so anything you can do to help them understand 
the progress you've made in doing that is really what they're looking for. And it's funny because Carrie Lou mentioned that she usually does three to five slides. I've done like one slide before. It's like, this is the revenue marketing brought in, period. It's interesting because when I was at one company, I was in a, a board meeting and I, I kid you not, this board member stood up and he's like, we need 17,000 leads for marketing. And I was like, well, I don't... <laughs> Okay, like I can go buy 17,000 leads today. No, done. Okay, mission accomplished. I'm taking a vacation. But so, but what I said was, I'm like, well, you know, help me, like, let's break this down. What do you mean by 17,000 leads? What are you actually hoping for from those 17,000 leads? And we actually ended up taking the conversation offline and it really did have to do with revenue. Like they were like, we're a year behind where we thought we would be. And so we're looking for this exponential growth. If we want to go through an acquisition, this is where we need to be in two years. And so how are we going to get there? And that's a different different conversation than we need 17,000 leads, right? So I think at the end of the day, it's really important for everybody to really understand what the goals of the company are. And and you can say like, it's a revenue target, right? But even beyond that, are you looking for acquisition? Are you looking to grow to five, 10 times? Like what, what are you actually trying to do? And then that's really, what's the plan to get there? And that's really what the board wants to understand. What is the plan to get there? And where are you right now? And they do, they want to keep it really simple. They don't need to know how many leads you brought in. They don't need to know how your campaigns are running. They, they just really want to know at the end of the day, how close are we to that end goal that we have? That's the board, right? And that's a little different from what executives, the C-suite are looking for as well, because the C-suite are looking at sort of the day-to-day components and, and, and the operations around that. So they are looking for a little bit more specific information. But again, it's just really important to keep it at that that high level. And each individual leader is going to have their own pain point and information that they're looking for. So the sales leader might be really interested in the pipeline and the CEO might be really interested in the revenue. And so you really need to understand where they're coming from, where their pain points are, what the board is asking of them so that you can articulate your results impact and and plans from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to the board and I'm not taking credit for this, but they don't care how it worked, just that it worked. And if it's not working, what are you going to do to make it work? And it better be fast. <laughs> right. And I know that there were CMOs that listened to Carrie Lou's interview and were like, oh my gosh, my board presentation's 20 slides. And it's not that you don't need the details. You just don't have to present the details. So you might want to keep them and have an appendix or you know have them at the ready if you're asked but don't present them because really they, they want to just have the confidence that you're the person for the job and that what you're doing is working. They don't care actually what it is. I also too, it's like if I hire a plumber, I don't care how he fixes my toilet. I just want it flush <laughs> I just again. want it fixed. Yeah, like I, I right. really don't, don't care about the details. It's interesting because when, when I was at one company, um, we used to have these monthly sales calls and my team would, we literally had same thing. We had a beautiful 20 slide deck and it started off from the beginning. These are the programs we were planning on doing. This is how many leads we brought in. This is how many converted to SQLs and on and on and on to the point where like 10 minutes in there, they're sound asleep and they just don't give a shit, right? Like they're like, I don't, I don't care. This means nothing to me. And so one day I had an interaction with a salesperson 
And they were like, you know, I hate that. I hate that stupid whiteboard that you have that shows all of your leads on there. And I was like, well, why do you hate that? Because that's really for my team to understand like where we are in our progress. And he said, because the CEO walks by and sees that and wonders why we haven't closed 10,000 leads because there's 10,000 leads on your board. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so totally erased the board. And I was like, oh, sorry about that. Didn't realize. And then I told my team, we were going into a sales meeting actually that day. And I'm like, you know what? Flip the deck, flip the entire deck. Start with the impact that we're having on sales, which is the revenue we brought in, the pipeline and the quality leads. Do it backwards, you know? And then if we ever get to the programs we implemented, who cares? And so we did, we literally flipped the entire deck, started with the last slide. And like the sales team was super, super engaged. They were like, oh, wow, this is great. This is good to know how much revenue we brought in and how much pipeline we have and how many quality leads. Same information we'd been giving them for months. I just literally flipped it. And, and that goes to sort of speaking their language, right? Like they don't care what programs we put. We don't care what the plumber does. We just want the sink fixed. And so that's what we ended up doing. And it was an important lesson for me. And I've really tried to understand what our key stakeholders are looking for, what's important to them, what's going to help them do a better job and, and really try to present it from that standpoint. So we talked about the three different types of stakeholders. It's exec slash boards, leaders from other departments, and you mentioned sales and customer success and peers go along with that. So how do you build then those relationships? Because I think the end game is you turn them into marketing believers, marketing supporters, or I guess best case scenario, advocates of marketing. How do you go about doing that? From a manager standpoint, it's a little different than what, what I have my, my teams do, but I'm, I'm really prescriptive about it. And again, I think about it in terms of a marketing campaign, right? Like how do I identify who my, my customer is, if you will, right? Who are these other peers or other leaders in within the organization? What, what are their pain points? What are they looking for? And how can I help them? And so it's the same thing, especially with the B2B being a long sales cycle. I'm going to nurture them. So I'm going to maybe share an article with them that I think would be helpful or help them with a win that they can then say, hey, you know, this is great. Thanks. Thanks for helping me with that. And then really, literally same thing you would do with a marketing campaign, like convert them into buyers. Like how can you get them to then literally work directly with you, whether it's on campaigns or any, any program that you have in place. And again, it goes back and forth. What do I need from them? And how can I, what do they need from me that I can kind of help them with? And it, and it just goes to starting to build their trust. Sometimes like with a sales team, I'll pick one or two salespeople that I know have the potential to do really well with some of the campaigns that we're focusing on. And I will like pull them aside and say, Hey, you know what? I just, I need you to be on my team. And so what do you need from me to get to a point where we can really work collaboratively together? And then once other salespeople see this person's getting a little bit more attention, they're getting more content, their leads are closing at a higher rate and conversion is better, then they all start sort of coming on board. In order to build that influence, you need to have their trust. And I think one of the key things that you know, is just missing in even more so with the remote or hybrid situations that we're in right now is 
people need context. And I think that we're just not really good at, at sharing context. We might say, hey, we're doing a webinar and, and this is what it's going to be on. And this is how many leads we think we're going to get. And this is what we think the conversion is. But we don't really explain like why we're doing the webinar and why we think it'll bring in this many leads and why we think these leads will convert. And, and it might take a little extra time to do that, but then at least the other person who you need help from or, or need their support or need their advocacy has a better idea of why you're doing that. And this is true of across the board. I had an interaction with engineering one time and I, I really needed them to uh, build this product. So I needed them to basically reprioritize their entire roadmap. And it's one thing to say, hey, I need this because we have an event Dreamforce is coming up and I need this product to launch, right? And, and to them, they're like, that, that means nothing to me. So putting it in context, what I can say is if we're able to leverage this event that's coming up and have a product launch of this product at this time, it will actually increase our revenue by like three times. And this is, this is actually the case. They were shocked. They were like, I, I had no idea that the work we were doing actually impacted revenue that significantly. And so with that context, we were all able to, to shift and, and work on what that roadmap would look like. If you're just helping explain, being really transparent and putting everything in context, it's easier for everybody to get behind that and support that. Christina, can you think about a specific time where there was a stakeholder that was maybe either apprehensive of, or there was tension with marketing, maybe a non-believer that turned into an advocate? It's happened. I mean, I've been, I've been really fortunate. There was one time uh, when, when I was working at Oracle and we were actually launching the first SaaS product that Oracle had, I needed our top salesperson to sell it. And he was like, nobody's going to buy $5 million worth of product and solution online. But I needed his support because I needed to understand how this was going to be successful, how we were going to successfully sell online. But really, it was just a matter of sitting down with him and, and helping him understand, like, this is why we're shifting to this. And this is how you will be involved. And this is how you will still meet your own personal revenue targets and bonuses. And it took about a month for me to sort of sway him, if you will, that, that this was really the way to go. And once I did that, and we like the day that we launched, the first one we sold was for like a quarter of a million dollars. So it was pretty significant. And he literally didn't do anything, but he got the commission on it. Um, so after that, he was, he was a big proponent of this online selling and really helped me and my team build better content and, and tools for the sales team. And with him being the number one salesperson that he was, all the other salespeople really just came on board really quickly from that standpoint. But again, it, it had to go to, you know, being super transparent, helping him understand the context. And they're losing some control at that point and just building that trust so that he would be like, okay, I believe this is going to work. I believe in the process. Let's, let's go with it. Yeah. And, and buying software online, ugh, who's going to do that? Right. I mean, this is back in the 90s. So <laughs> it literally, even I was like, oh, I think, I think this is going to work. But yeah, it was a tense day for sure. So, you know, I've, I've got another example that I think is really interesting because it, it covers a, a bunch of different topics and it goes to sort of the conversation about the stakeholders and, and the language. So when I was at a, a company and had built up this thought leadership program, it was Udacity. They do online courses and we were getting ready to launch our AI course course. And we were unknown in this space. And this is a, a new sort of unique, very technical 
course offering that that we had. And so what I did was I worked to find a thought leader in the space, not necessarily somebody who you know wrote the course or who advocated for Udacity, but somebody who advocated for learning these AI skills and, and how critical they were going to be for individuals in order to be successful in their jobs. And so we were able to get Kaifu Lee, who's basically known as the father of AI, to do a webinar with us. It was interesting because the CEO and the GM, you know, they kept saying, why would we have him on? He, he doesn't use our product. He didn't write anything. And I was like, he's a thought leader. He's an influencer in the space. And he doesn't have to use Udacity for people to understand that he's talking about this is a critical course for people to have. So we launched the webinar and we had 80,000 people show up for the webinar, which is phenomenal. It was interesting to kind of go through that process with them. They did trust me, but they still were like, I don't understand why we're doing this or, or how this how this is going to help. At the end of it, they're like, yeah, this is amazing. This was this is fantastic. We're super excited. And, and, and the, the event went over really well. But the interesting thing was the very next day, normally our sales cycle is six to nine months. And, and the very next day, they asked me how much revenue the webinar brought in. And I was like, what? Like, we, we just had the webinar yesterday. I thought you guys were on board with how this is going to work. It's going to bring in a bunch of leads that we're going to nurture and then we're going to convert and, and sell to. And so it, it brought up that whole conversation about what the expectations were and what I needed to tell them to help sort of allay their fears that this made sense. Uh, so I told them, I'm like, look, we have a sales cycle of six to nine months or 12 months in some cases. So we won't see revenue results for that long period of time. But again, that's something I should have mentioned earlier on, right? They were already apprehensive about doing this event or a thought leader program. And then I failed to sort of help them understand uh, and set expectations in terms of when some of that revenue might be realized. That's a great example. And I love the data behind it where it's like, well, six to nine month close time and we're 24 hours in boys. Yep. So, you know, take a chill pill, relax and uh, call me back in six months and I'll tell you where we are. 17,000 leads. That's what you need. 17,000 leads. Got them. Got them. Got 80,000. We're good. We're solid. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, I had a really good relationship with them. So I, I definitely was like, are you fucking kidding me people? Because <laughs> I do not have any data yet on that. <laughs> Get back to you soon. Well, Christina, this has been awesome. Is there anything that you and I didn't cover that you want to make sure that we tackle? I think that it's just really important for people to think about how they can market themselves, market internally, build that trust, build that influence. So they'll have a much better time being productive, having people understand what it is that they do, the results that they bring in, the impact they have. And I think it really sets up a more collaborative environment as well. Absolutely. Well, I know I'm going to be asking you to toast with your morning coffee, but as we end every show, do you have a favorite or signature toast to send us out? Uh, mine would be do epic shit. I knew you were going to go there. I was hoping you were going to go there. I will absolutely <laughs> go do epic drink shit. to that. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to Christina for joining us on SAS Half Full. What an awesome conversation. Super excited that we had her on the show. Christina was not drinking with me today. She was having coffee and I was yet again drinking alone, folks. Uh, if you care to have your own cocktail kit delivered to your door, we can help. Go to our partner at cocktailcourier.com and enter code SHF5 at checkout for five bucks off your cocktail kit. 
As always, appreciate the listen, guys. And until next time, bottoms up.